Welcome back to Podcast 51, your Central Michigan Life home to all that is creepy and weird. I'm Tom DeLore. And I'm Amir Bankson. And this is the second part of our three-part series featuring uh, exorcisms and possessions and that kind of thing. Um, So the first part goes over the traditions across various religions, how they're different, that kind of thing. This one is going to feature two stories of possessions, and these are going to focus more on the um, Catholic belief of uh, possessions because those ones are kind of the more popularized ones, and I think those ones are more common, at least I guess they're popularized, so we see them as more common. But yeah, you ready for this, Amir? I'm 100% super ready. So the first one is the Snedeker house. So this family, which consists of two parents, three sons, one daughter, and two nieces, moves into a white duplex that had previously been a funeral home on June 30th, 1986. The house is in Southington, or Southington, Connecticut. In the basement, they find various mortuary items, such as a gurney, blood drains, and toe tags. And soon, the Snedekers begin reporting sexual sexual attacks, apparitions, and abrupt violent personality changes in their eldest son, who is being treated for Hodgkin's disease, which, if you don't know, is lymphatic cancer. The mother, Carmen, said that they were incredibly powerful. One of them, this is a quote, one of them was very thin with high cheekbones and long black hair and pitch black eyes. And another had white hair and eye, white hair and eyes and was wearing a pinstripe tuxedo and his feet were constantly in motion. And so here enter some famous figures. Famous demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, the key characters in the Conjuring series, investigated the house and declared the house to be possessed. Eventually, other facts about this case began to surface, including that the oldest son was actually a drug addict and had schizophrenia, and then he also admitted to some of to conducting some of the reported acts. Oh. Um, also, remember this is a duplex, and so the upstairs neighbor, they don't have any incidents whatsoever. So it's just the basement He's that's like, haunted. Hey, I don't know about you guys, but I don't got nothing to do with any of that wild stuff. And pay so my rent like the, the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. You're like, why are they always yelling downstairs? What's going on? <laughs> What's going on? Just slamming a broom on the floor like, quiet down! And so you already have that bit of skepticism there where the old boy, the older boy who is like the center of all this is schizophrenic. He's a drug addict, all this stuff. He admits some of the acts. The upstairs neighbor's not doing anything. We then enter Ray Garten, who is called to write, um, write about this story in a book for the Warrens and the Snedekers, but then goes on the record later saying that he was given conflicting records of events and then was told to ignore the, con- the conflictions, the, the conflicts, and write the most sensationalist sequence of events he could. So basically, the Warrens and the Snedekers seemed like they just wanted to make a lot of money off of this. Probably did. Good on them. Uh, this, the Snedekers then moved out in 2002, and the owners since have not reported any events. Well, I got to say, when I was going over this research, I was really disappointed because I was like really interested in the Warrens of all because the, they're super famous. Yeah, they are. And I was like, and then as I continued, you'll see they appear in the Orange Cheyenne Johnson story too. And it, they just seemed to come across very, very differently than I had always pictured and how they're featured in The Conjuring. Are which, you saying they're a big bunch of phonies? And they seem like they really want to be famous. So they're phonies, is that what you're saying? Yeah. They're phonies. So that was the Snedeker story. Come and defend yourselves, Warrens, if you're still alive. The one of them is. Lorraine is still alive. She's like 95, though. Come and defend yourself right here. I would love to have a conversation with Or I'll come to you, hopefully, at one point. Um, moving on to Arne Cheyenne Johnson, which is a bit longer of a story. 
On February 16, 1981, Arne Cheyenne Johnson is called in sick to his or calls in sick to his job at the Wright Tree Service, and he's joined and he joins his girlfriend Debbie at the kennel where she works with his sister and Debbie's younger cousin. Alan Bono, their landlord and Debbie's employer, bought everybody lunch at the local bar. And the singer from U2. That's someone different. Oh. That's Chaz what's his name? Chastity Bono? Sorry, Something I like thought Chaz Bono. The same guy. I, <laughs> I don't think so because, uh, spoiler, Alan Bono doesn't make it out of this story alive. So uh, they go to the bar, and I think at the bar is just the adults or, or just um, Alan, Debbie, and Arn. And, but they go to the bar, and Alan begins to drink heavily. They return to the kennel, and Debbie leaves to get the girls' pizza. Um, but yeah, which I said, why didn't I thought that maybe if they all went to get to go to the bar, why didn't they just get food? Unless at the bar it was just Debbie on and Alan, which I which I just covered. But anyways, they leave, and Debbie gets this super weird feeling that something is wrong. So she rushes back and finds Bono is super agitated and drunk. And so Bono seizes Mary, Debbie's younger cousin, and Debbie gets everyone to leave the room except those three. Arn then comes back, tells Bono to release Mary. Mary somehow gets released and runs to the car outside as Debbie begins trying to mitigate the situation between Bono and Arn. Wanda tries to pull Arn away, who must be the, the um, Arn's sister. She tries to pull Arn away, who begins growling like an animal, and then pulls out a five-inch pocket knife and stabs Bono to death. Oh, wow. Yeah, Arn goes to trial. and it escalated be- quickly. Yeah. Arn goes to trial, and it becomes the first case in history that tries to use demonic possession as a defense. So on November 24th, 1981, he is convicted of first-degree manslaughter for Alan Bono's death. According to a testimony by the Glatzel family, um, which is Debbie's family, um, 11-year-old David Glatzel was the host for the demon which made Arne Johnson kill Alan Bono. Mm. Apparently, there were, there were a lot of disturbing and unexplainable occurrences with David, so the Glatzel family enlists Ed and Lorraine Warren, they come back, to try and save David. David proceeds to have numerous priests perform an exorcism on him for several days, and when the demon was finally exercised, it fled into Arne Johnson's body, and several months later, Johnson kills Alan Bono. So where did this demon come from in the first place? Johnson and the Glatzels go to clean up a rental property they recently acquired, and according to David, the young boy, uh, an old man shows up, and uh, this old man apparently tells David that he would hurt the Glatzels if they moved in there. David said the man looked demonic, muttering Latin, and threatening to steal his soul. Although the family reported strange noises in the attic, David was the only one who ever actually saw this man. David began to experience night terrors and exhibits strange behavior and gets unexplainable scratches and bruises all over his body. At this point, the family calls a Catholic priest who tries to bless the house. David continues to get worse, so they call the Warrens. This is where the Warrens come in. Lorraine Warren claims to have seen a black mist materialize materialize near David, which apparently is an indication of a malevolent presence, which seems very reasonable. Defend yourself. And so Debbie and her mom told the Warrens that they had seen David being beaten and choked by invisible hands and had red marks appeared on his body afterwards. David begins to growl, hiss, and speak in otherworldly voices, as well as recite passages from the Bible and Paradise Lost. (laughs) What a combination right I know. there. Okay. Paradise Lost is like that whole story about Adam and Eve. All right. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Every night, a family member would stay awake with David to monitor him. The Warrens reported multiple possessions. So he's got multiple demons in his body. Oh, wow. So they just all came in for a party. I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, like party at David's. Yeah, you know, we all get, we're all hanging. Uh, but David is then subjected to three lesser exorcisms, which, what is a lesser exorcism? We talked about major exorcisms, which is the official ones, but what is the lesser one? I don't know. It's the one really where know. they don't go all the way. I guess not. They just stop right when you're about, right when it's about to leave. They're just like, ah, nah. Just, we're done. Let's, let's leave a foot in there. And so Lorraine says that during these, David levitated, ceased breathing, and demonstrated supernatural precognition, specifically knowing about the murder of Alan Bono, which doesn't happen for several months. In October of 1980, the Warrens contacted the police department in Brookfield to warn them that the situation was getting very dangerous and out of hand. Apparently, during David's exorcisms, David, uh, excuse me, during David's exorcisms, Arne Cheyenne Johnson coerced the demons to possess him instead. Johnson yeah. returns to the rental property to examine an old well that apparently housed the demon, which is where I was like, this story is really going off the rails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... But this is Arne Johnson's alleged last encounter with the demon. Wait, hold on. So it didn't go off the rails for you when a man just kind of stopped ble- breathing and then was lifted into the air? No, it did. But I was like, that's gen- that's pretty common or exorcism the, stuff. The, paradel- the Paradise Lost Party of the Register, <coughs> you, were, you were still in the rails right there. And I was like, that still is like common with exorcism stories. Oh, okay. But they're talking about how this demon lives in a well. Oh, okay. And I was yeah. like, what is going on? Yep. It all doesn't make sense, or it all is super wild. But he goes out there to the well, and this is his last alleged encounter with the demon while he is lucid, during which he saw and made eye contact with the demon, and then he becomes possessed. Or the demon. The Warrens apparently warned Johnson, don't do that. (laughs) And he did anyways. (laughs) Hey, man, don't do it. I'm just saying it wouldn't be good for you. Don't go all the way. But even after this, David continues to get worse. So Debbie and Arn Johnson move out. Of Debbie's mother, De, excuse me, of Debbie's mother's house, and begin renting an apartment close to the kennel where she is employed by Alan Bono. Then we get to the trial, because we talked about the murder, and that's how the demon came in. The Warrens tell the police that Johnson was possessed at the time of the crime, and this causes a so-called media blitz, which is only fueled by the Warrens' agents promising lectures, a book. And a movie about the event. Okay, okay, hold on. And this is the part where I'm like, come on, Warren. This is so obviously fame grubbing. Conspiracy theory right here. What? The Warrens are one of the best authors of all time. Well, they don't write the books. I think they're the best actors, maybe. Yeah, I can see that. Or storytellers. They probably tell some great stories. They could just start a whole (laughs) franchise with just the Warrens. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha. They haven't already. No, they have not. Not, i never seen The Conjuring. Don't see The Conjuring. I love The Conjuring movie. Those are some of my favorite horror movies. But let's go back to this trial. So Martin Manella, who is Johnson's lawyer, receives calls from all over the world about the trial, and he travels to England to consult with lawyers who had been involved in similar cases but had never gone to trial. Manella planned to fly an exorcism specialist from Europe and threatened to subpoena David's exorcist if they did not cooperate with the defense. Manila tried to submit a plea of not guilty by virtue of possession, but the judge rejected this and said this defense would never exist in the court of law because there is no scientific proof. The jury was not able to consider demonic possession as a viable excuse. Because it's not. Yeah, exactly. The defense then changed their argument to say that Johnson acted in self-defense, and so he got first-degree manslaughter and was was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison, of which he only served five. So he's out now. That's light work. Lorraine said that the profits from their book about this, which is The Devil in Connecticut, um, 
would be shared with the family. And their pockets. And they're obviously going to get some too. So David and his brother Carl, once they become adults, sued the publishers of this book for violating their privacy, for libel, and for intention, intentional affliction of emotional distress. Carl said the possession story was a hoax concocted by the Warrens to exploit his family and his brother's mental illness. Carl said that the Warrens told him that the book would make his family millionaires and help get Johnson out of jail. Lorraine Warren defends herself by saying that the six priests involved in the exorcism all said that the boy was possessed. The author of the book, Jared, uh, Gerald Brittle, said he wrote the book because he wanted the story told and that he has over 100 – excuse me. I'm going to restart that sentence. Gerald Brittle said he wrote the book because the family wanted their story told and that he has over 100 hours of video of interviews with the family and that they signed off on the book as accurate as accurate events before it went to printing. My speech just going out the window. Yeah. So Carl Glatzel Sr. denies that he ever said his son was possessed, but Arne Johnson and Debbie, who are now married, fully support the Warren's account of events because, yeah, you definitely would because then you can just say you were possessed when you murdered somebody. And, and you could also say, let me get a piece of that check. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but yeah, that is the story of Arnshay and Johnson, which is the first time demonic possession was ever tried to use as a defense in the court of law, which is why I included it in this because I thought it was particularly interesting. This Snedeker case I thought was interesting too because it was so easily disproved, but it's still considered a very famous event. And it's relatively modern. The Warrens are... And the Warrens were involved in both. They're seeing me more and more like liars. I think so too. When I'm telling you, Lorraine, you can come up here and defend yourself. Or you can get wheeled up here. I don't know how bad it's going for you. Right I now. hope not very bad. I hope it's going pretty well. I mean, but I think some of your stories were. I know. Uh, I was really disappointed, like I said, because I was like, the Warrens are super interesting. And then I read this. I'm like, they just wanted to be famous and they wanted to make a lot of money. And so they just made a bunch of stories up and tried to put themselves in situations where they could make a story up and then just ran with it. Are you saying that the Warrens are the Forrest Gump of mysteries? What does that mean? Forrest they just Gump. have tons of stories. Yeah, because you yeah. know Forrest Gump put himself in a whole bunch of like situations. I guess, but they were those were legitimate situations. Oh, okay. That's the difference. Yeah, sure. They're very legitimate. Well, that's not a real book, but a real story. Yeah, but but the, all the stuff that actually happened to him. But to them, to that world, it is. I don't know if they really believed it. To be honest, I have no idea. They probably did. Do you have anything else to say about this trial and or the Snedeker family? Uh, good on that guy for you know going any way he could to get out of a case. I mean he. He got out serving, like, life. I can't believe he got charged with only manslaughter, and he only served five years, and he killed somebody. Yeah. Shocking well, to me. That's how the courts work sometimes. I guess, yeah. And that's what that was, That's what makes us great. I don't understand. He'd be like, I was possessed, and they're like, you can't say that. And he's like, it was self-defense then. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they should have went with, like, ah, yeah. You would think they they put him in, like, a psychiatric ward. You would think something along those lines if you believed possession, but I guess possession is parallel to the beliefs of a lot of religions. So you really but if could, you said, I was possessed, and then they were like, oh, really? And then you were like, well, that was self-defense. Well, maybe you just look like a liar then. Which I, still, how do you then get a sentence that's relatively light? I don't know. It was self-defense. Maybe you could say like third-degree murder or something. Is that a third-degree murder? Yeah. First degree means it was premeditated. Yeah, first degree is and like third. Maybe maybe like it. a crime of passion, which is third degree murder, I believe. Should have been second. I don't know what second is. I think second is like you murdered them, but you didn't intend on murdering them. Like That's you, manslaughter. It was just, oh well, I think second was like out of nowhere. Like I just murdered a guy. I have no idea. We're gonna. Mean. I'm gonna Google it. 
You you talk for like three seconds. I don't have anything else to say except I think it's just interesting how the Warrens were involved in both, and then they both in both scenarios the Warrens are kind of outed by somebody who is like you wrote a bunch of crap down. None of that's real. That's what I think. That, yeah, that's you're right, dude. I also think like that the Warrens are kind of. I kind of think they're like. What hits me most about this is uh, that they cause this media blitz, and then they're like, we're going to have a lecture about this, we're going to write a book about it, and we're even going to make a movie about it. And it's like they have agents, but they're demonologists, but they have agents, which just shows how much they wanted to be famous. You got anything there? No. Yeah, no, I'm not getting anything, but. I don't think it's it's not super important. It's probably not even like important. But that's all for this episode. Yeah. Unless you have anything else you want to say? Uh, no, not really. The Warrens suck. <laughs> wow, dang. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, next week will be the final part of our Possessions and Exorcisms miniseries, and we'll tell one more story. It's a story of the Ammons family. It's a little bit longer, but it's I think it's super interesting, and it's modern. It happened in 2012. The Warrens also appeared. They were not. Oh! I'm pretty sure Ed, I'm pretty sure Ed oh. Warren was dead by then. Poor Ed. R.I.P. Ed Warren. But uh, just so you can listen to those other episodes, uh, our last week's episode, which explains the traditions, or our episodes we did on MKUltra or Krampus or any of that stuff, other ways you can listen to our stuff is uh, SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash cm hyphen life, iTunes under Central Michigan Life Podcast, the Central Michigan Life website, which is cm hyphen life.com slash multimedia slash audio, our Twitter, we post the episodes, that's at the podcast 51, our Instagram, which is at podcast 51. And yeah, thank you for listening, everybody. Stay spooky, stay curious, and stay awesome, and the Warrens suck.